Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. We, we, we meet with him bi-monthly at this hour, and uh, we certainly appreciate him joining us. Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you, Newell. It's really nice to be back with you. So, Doc, I understand, I was reading the other day, let's just do a, a COVID update real quick. Is there a new variant that's out there? There's always a new variant out there. Um, I don't think there's anything to, I mean, that's just the way that, that, that viruses like COVID work. Um, right. N- nothing I think that people need to be concerned about right now. You know, COVID, COVID is down right now um, significantly, and flu and RSV are up significantly and continuing to to go up so over the next couple months that's going to be um, probably the biggest threat to people looking to avoid uh, respiratory viruses is is flu and and rsv we're entering both of those seasons squarely we're above national benchmarks um, and it's going to get you know more prevalent as the next one to two months go on so with the the flu what are we seeing as uh, side effects What, what are people experiencing yeah, it's a pretty typical start to the flu season. Um, about 7% of all ER visits in the state right now are people seeking care because of a respiratory virus, and about half of that is flu. Uh, the, the balance is a combination of RSV and COVID. Um, you know, we always see hospitalizations. We see the occasional death from flu. It's too early in the season to get great numbers on those. I can tell you on an average flu season, you know, we see somewhere around between 500 and 1,000 deaths um, from the flu in Louisiana. That goes up or down a little bit, but that's, that's, that's pretty average. That's what we would expect this season. The start to this flu season is, is pretty normal for us. Last year we had a very early and a very fast start to the flu season. We got very worried, and thankfully the season petered out um, you know, lower and earlier than we had ho- feared it would. This year so far is looking like an average season, but flu seasons are always unpredictable. Sometimes we have one spike. Sometimes we actually have two spikes with a little dip in the middle. You never really know what's going to happen. But um, you know, for folks out there, if you've not gotten the flu shot yet, um, I-, I really think you need to do it this week because, like I said, flu season is on us and it's going up um, at a pretty impressive clip right now. And what are we seeing as, uh, I guess, the typical side effects with relative to RSV? 
It's pretty normal. You know, RSV typically is a larger concern for younger individuals, for, for, for babies and for young children. Um, pediatric hospitals are typically quite busy. Um, there's a lot of RSV going out in the pediatric community right now. About 19% of every test for RSV are coming back positive. That's a very high number. Anything above 10% tells us that we're squarely in RSV season, and we've about doubled that. What is different this year is um, we now have some more preventative measures available for RSV. There's a vaccine available for adults over the age of 60, um, and there is a um, monoclonal antibody-type product that functions like a vaccine for the youngest individuals, for babies. Those have just been introduced. Supply is growing. It's, it's not where it needs to be right now. So it's going to be more widespread, um, I think, for next flu season. It's still pretty early in terms of supply for this flu season, uh, excuse me, for this RSV season. But, you know, I think, you know, for parents with kids, you know, oftentimes, you know, if the kid gets sick, you don't know if it's RSV or flu or, or um, a different coronavirus or any of the many viruses that kids get. Um, and if they get sick enough, you take them in and they get tested. But, you know, I think this is, long story short, we're squarely in respiratory virus season right now. RSV and flu are no strangers. We deal with them every single year. Um, the lessons we learned during COVID about, you know, staying home if you're sick, you know, washing your hands frequently, um, really not doing unnecessary things to expose others. Those are good lessons to be heated right now, particularly as we go into Thanksgiving and Christmas season. And a follow-up, because uh, we talked about this for a while, you were concerned that there was um, uh, disproportionate numbers that, or numbers that we haven't usually seen as it relates to syphilis. Is that still the case? Very much so. And that's a national issue. Um, the Federal Health and Human Services Department rang the bell very loud on that yesterday. Um, syphilis rates, particularly congenital syphilis, which really, you know, should be a never event these days, um, have essentially doubled over the past couple of years in Louisiana. Um, we have fairly progressive laws here on congenital syphilis. Pregnant women are required by law to be tested at least twice for syphilis during pregnancy. When, when they found, are found to be positive, it's typically treated very easily with, with penicillin. Um, that's why we're so aggressive with testing. But as um, more and more moms, unfortunately, have incomplete prenatal care and um, you know, addiction and the opioid crisis contributes to that, they don't get in and don't, don't get that testing. And then we have these cases of congenital syphilis so again, this is this is a national issue, and that rates across the country have gone up considerably. But we are leading the pack on that, and it's a, it's really a warning call for us that we need to be devoting more resources to it. I saw uh, an announcement by the FDA um, that they're providing, uh, or that they granted approval for the first time to have a home test for chlamydia and gonorrhea, uh, yeah. and they're saying that this is big news and. Um, why so why is this such a big thing 
Well, we want to lower the barrier to all types of uh, testing for sexually transmitted infections. You know, Louisiana is not a leader only in syphilis. It's, you know, we're also always in the top five, if not top ten, for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Um, there's just a lot of it here. So the easier we can make it for people to get tested and then, you know, eventually get in the treatment, the better. The home test that the FDA just approved yesterday for gonorrhea and chlamydia is um, – it, it, it's not a rapid test, so it's it's either a urine sample or a, a vaginal swab that then gets sent out to the lab. So it's not quite as easy as, you know, um, taking a sample yourself, like a pregnancy test almost, and you get the results within five minutes. Um, you do have to send it out and you get the results back. But for people that, you know, have busy schedules and, and can't find time to get into a clinic to get tested, it's a significant improvement from the status quo. So we're, we're looking forward to that. You know, there's a network of public health folks in the Department of Health that follow up these cases and get people linked to treatment. So oftentimes getting diagnosed is really the first step, and I think this will make it easier for people. Now we just need to get it funded so people can get the test easier without having to go pay out of pocket for it. Other than stating the obvious, why why is it that we are disproportionate in a number of cases of, of these sexually transmitted diseases? Traditionally, it was an access to care issue. And, um, you know, this was before Medicaid expansion and people didn't have good care. And for a lot of people, the only practical way that they saw the doctor was in the emergency department. And that's not a place where you get good continuity. That's slowly beginning to change, and some of our rates are beginning to reflect that. I think it's going to take a little bit more time to catch up on that. But um, we've always struggled with sexually transmitted infections. Um, but I think as, as the primary care base expands, as this type of testing becomes more commonplace, and as more people get a doctor that they can see regularly and trust, again, we've made great progress on that, but still have more to do, I think that's that's the building blocks of, of getting better with these STIs, but um, we still have a lot of work to do, clearly. Yeah. Um, it, it's always, I always wonder about the why and why, and, and, and then the, the disparity uh, mm -hmm. in the frequency, right? Uh, it is, kind of mystifies me all the time, especially as it relates to a number of these things. What about the states that don't have Medicaid expansion? Uh, do they have greater rates than we do? Some of them do. Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas are, are all um, neck and neck with us, if not a couple points higher. Um, we do better on some of these. For congenital syphilis, we, we do the worst, unfortunately. But for gonorrhea and chlamydia, a number of those states have higher rates than we do. So we've seen some improvement on gonorrhea and chlamydia, but, uh, again, I think it's going to be continued concerted effort to lower the barrier for people to get routine care because um, oftentimes people can have asymptomatic infections and not not know that they're infected and be spreading it um, unintentionally to other people so i think it really starts with good primary care and making sure that you know within communities in louisiana people have a primary care doc and go to that doc regularly as opposed to an urgent care or an er where you might get part of the problem fixed but there's no continuity and not a lot of testing for stis I want to go back to a text that I got we were, as we were talking about flu and RSV. Obviously, we're going into one of the most heavily trafficked uh, weeks uh, in the calendar year, Thanksgiving holidays. Is there anything that people can do to try to protect themselves uh, relative to 
flu and RSV other than get the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it worse, it's worth saying that the vaccine goes a long way, but it's not 100%. Um, if you haven't gotten the vaccine for flu yet this season, again, I think this is the week really to do it. For folks that are traveling, look, I mean, the first thing I would say is if, if you yourself are sick, please stay home. Please don't expose an entire airplane or the people around you in line to what could be flu or any other number of viruses. Um, that's the first thing. I know it's harder said than done because you make plans and you invest money in it. But if you yourself are sick, it really is irresponsible to travel and to potentially expose other people. And the other thing is I think, you know, people do need to take stock of what their own risk is. We're going to see more people masking when they travel now than we did before COVID. Um, and for people that are at greater risk, people that have significant underlying conditions, immunosuppression, people who are older, they have more to lose if they get infected with a virus like flu or, or another respiratory virus, um, RSV or COVID or any of the, of the other ones, they have more to lose. And I think they're going to find more value in, in masking with, you know, the 95 or a KN95 that can really protect them. It's a personal choice, clearly. But I think given what we know from the pandemic, I think more people are going to be evaluating that choice for themselves if they are higher risk. Yeah. All right, we got to get to a break. Uh, give us a shout, 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. We're visiting with Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. We will be right back, folks. Stay with us. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. Doc, um, would you consider obesity a public health issue? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, 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 no question about that. And it drives a lot of other downstream effects like type 2 diabetes, increased risk of heart attack, stroke, a um, number of other conditions. And uh, it's a condition that, that we know too well in, in Louisiana. It's a massive, massive public health issue and one that we've not made a lot of progress on over the past you know, couple of decades. Would you also agree that one of the reasons, at least we've been told, that the reason that we pay so much for prescription drugs is that we are financing the R&D, the research and development of all these pharma companies, 
and we have to put them in the best position to be able to recoup their investment, and that's why the drugs are we pay more for them here in the U.S. than almost any other um, industrialized nation in the world. That's the argument. Um, that's the argument that the pharmaceutical companies put forth. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll mention that the drug companies also get a lot of money from the NIH um, for clinical trials or laboratory study that, that leads to development of drugs, and typically the NIH doesn't recoup that investment, at least not directly. Um, I think at the end of the day, like most products in a capitalist system, you know, the drug companies are charging what they think they can get for the drugs. Yeah. But the problem that I have is that why is it then if we are burdened with these additional costs for for long periods of time, that when we do come up with a drug uh, that directly deals with obesity, all the insurance carriers, Medicare, Medicaid, and others, don't want to allow people to get it. Yep. And, I mean, that seems to be the approach with, with uh, Wagovi, Ozempic, Zepbound. Um, and, and now, all of a sudden, they're worried about the cost. <laughs> but I thought we were paying these costs all along. Paying, paying the cost all along, and, and for a disease like obesity, you're paying the cost four or five fold, if not, if not more than that, when you think about, um, you know, its relationship to causing strokes and heart attacks and things that can just in terms of hospital bills, you know, easily get you in the one to $200,000 range for a single visit. Um, these newer obesity drugs, you know, these are drugs that initially were developed to treat type two diabetes. And it was discovered in the course of that, that they are highly effective weight loss drugs. Um, they, they significantly reduce people's appetites. They reduce portion size because of that, and they significantly reduce weight. It's coming out now. I mean, it was presumed that that would relate to a decrease in heart attacks and strokes. That presumption is being proven now with data. All that to say um, insurance companies are not going to be able to decline payment for these type of drugs for the treatment of obesity for very much longer because as more data comes out that shows that not only are these drugs effective at reducing weight, they're also effective at decreasing heart attack, stroke, and other other type of conditions, it's going to be, I think, increasingly hard, if not impossible, for, for Medicare and other, you know, the private insurance companies that follow Medicare to decline paying for these. Right now they pay for them typically for people diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, but, you know, we really like to connect people with them before they get type 2 diabetes. So I see yeah. a big, big change in this over the next couple of years. Well, I'm kind of mystified, too, because um, for, you know, several years now, I think you would agree, a lot of studies show that ob- obesity was not directly uh, or, or intrinsically linked to just simply caloric intake, Right. That's right. I mean, genetics, um, activity, a a whole horse of things, but caloric intake is is one component of it, for sure. Right. Well, now it seems as though uh, in order to try and beat back this desire, um, you know, that folks, because the AMA came out and said, you know, that insurance companies ought to be providing these drugs. And some initially did, and it seems as though this may be the year that a number of them 
or taken them off their formularies. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But now all of a sudden we're switching to the, the chief cause being processed foods. Well, you know as well as I that processed foods really hurts the lower socioeconomic group uh, and would end up preventing them if, they, if they're saying that this is going to be the cause and they're not going to do it than anybody else, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's, you know, the unfortunate reality is it's oftentimes more expensive to eat healthier. It's more expensive to buy fresh foods than it is to get cheap processed foods, and that's really unfortunate for a lot of people. Um, you know, typically, these, these newer um, weight loss drugs um, that you mentioned, you know, like I said, insurance will typically pay for it now if you've got type 2 diabetes. If you don't, you're trying to prevent that, <laughs> trying to get healthier. Then a lot of people are stuck paying out of pocket. It, it's a weekly injection. It, it ends up costing somewhere around 1000 bucks, maybe 1200 bucks out of pocket a month. And that's, you know, the inflated price that insurance charges, that, that the pharmaceutical companies will charge a self-pay patient to do that. Um, you know, I think it's this isn't to say that caloric intake or portion size is the absolute largest driver of obesity. I don't, I don't know, you know, I couldn't quantify that. This isn't kind of, kind of above my wheelhouse now, but um, in medicine, you know, you take your wins where you can find them. And for whatever reason, if this drug is found to be highly effective at weight loss, and there's just no doubt that it is, I mean, it's, it's clear right now. And for people that know people that have been on these drugs it's really impressive. It's really impressive. And it leads to improved mood, increased stamina, more energy, all types of downstream effects that are healthy. Um, you know, you take your wins where you can get it. And if this drug is highly effective, uh, as it seems to be, uh, again, I, I think it, as more data comes out and shows these downstream effects on health beyond simply weight loss, it's going to be increasingly challenging, if not impossible, for insurance companies not to offer it to people who haven't yet been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. You probably know people, like I know people, that have gone on these medications and they're off of four other medications. They're off of a lot of, you know, <laughs> off of their blood pressure medicine, you know, maybe their cholesterol medicine. Um, you know, usually people take a couple of different blood pressure medicines off of their diabetes medicine if they had it before. There's no question. And the folks that I know that have been on these medicines are now leading much healthier lives. Look, I mean, if you are 100 pounds overweight, it's not easy to exercise. <laughs> it, it, it's no. not easy. <laughs> Um, and folks that I know that have been on these drugs are exercising more. They're walking more. They tell me that they just they no longer crave unhealthy food. They crave healthy food. And I, I can't explain that, but I've heard it from more than one person that's been on these drugs. So I've seen it really, really impact people's lives. Now, on the flip side, when folks who are on these medicines go off of it, the weight comes back. The, the, the full appetite comes back and the weight comes back, but you know that's not a re- reason not to do it. We don't that's we don't make that same argument with other types of pharmaceuticals. Well, we don't make that argument with any that I'm with aware any, of, do we? No, no, we, no, certainly not, certainly not. And, um, you know, and, you know, we get flooded with advertising and we get flooded with this. This is the new you know drug, miracle drug. You need to take it, whatever. You get on it, you get off your other medications, and all of a sudden everybody's trying to pull 
you know, the rug out from under you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this this bastardized system for me, it, it's not it's making less and less sense uh, on 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 so many fronts. And I think with technologies today, I think we are going to be at the crossroads where we're going to have these difficult decisions more and more. Would you agree? No question. And one of the perverse incentives in the current health insurance you know, marketplace is insurance companies know that there's a lot of churn, that people switch insurance companies at a certain frequency. And so there's this perverse calculation where an insurance company might say to themselves, if I make the investment in this person's long-term health, there's a certain chance that that person will no longer be in my insurance plan when whatever later event I'm going to prevent happens. That, in other words, one insurance company will make the investment, another insurance company five to ten years later will get the reward, get the return on that. And that's a really perverse calculation that, that you know, um, delegates individuals to just, you know, <laughs> commodities in a, in a marketplace. But um, this is going to take, you know, the largest game in town like Medicare to say, nope, this is clearly warranted. The data supports it. It needs to be covered. And then I think once that happens, you see these private insurers follow that. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we got to get to a break. We're visiting with Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. We will be right back, folks. You can reach out to us on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line, 504-260-1870. Stay with us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, folks. We are visiting Dr. Joe Cantor, the state health officer for the state of Louisiana. Doc, there's a widening life expectancy gap between men and women uh, in um, this country. What's up? Um, For for, for a century, there's been a gap. You know, women have lived longer on average in the U.S. than men by a couple of years, two or three or four years. That gap um, over the past few years and, and through the pandemic has now expanded to six years. So if you're a woman in the U.S., on average, you're going to live to be about 90, excuse me, 79 years old. And if if you're a man in the U.S., you're going to live on average to be about 73 years old. Right. That's a six year six year span. Um, It's it's pretty impressive. Um, There's a few reasons that have been pegged for this. The mortality rates of covid were higher for men than women. The infection rate of covid was higher for men than women. But that's not the whole story. Non-accidental deaths, um, which particularly include 
accidental drug overdose, opioid overdose, are, are uh, notably higher for men than women, as are um, deaths by suicide. Um, women are generally more likely to attempt suicide. Men are generally more likely to to actually kill themselves through suicide. Um, and that's where we have it. <laughs> so uh, I think um, you know this would be this should help guide some action. Um, you know I think it, you know I think we've known for a while that women are smarter, They're clearly making better 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 choices. Um, smoking rates are also higher amongst men. Um, and uh, you know our life expectancy as a whole in the U.S. has gone down two and a half years through the pandemic, and that's really setting us apart from peer industrialized nations, European nations, et cetera. Um, and the lifespan gap amongst men and women is just, you know, both have gone down, but clearly men have gone down more than women. Is this something, you know, that we actually, there are people that are looking at this each and every day. They expect this trend to continue? The overall decline in life expectancy, um, you know, for the U.S., it, it's, there's an increasing gap now between overall health metrics from life expectancy on down in the U.S. compared to nations that, that we should and are compared with, you know, particularly European nations. Um, that's been the focus of a lot of discussion. Um, it's tough to see that changing without some real fundamental investment. And it's not to say that we don't have access to great health care. We've got, you know, I think the best health care in the world. I think the problem is that not everyone has has access to that. And for a, a lot of people, for whatever reason, they, they simply don't have access to it or, or it's not, not working for them. Um, I think this is, you know, this is a watershed moment. You know, life expectancy is one of those metrics that you judge the greatness of a society by. Whether right or wrong, that's that that's what it is. I mean, judge the progress of society by how healthy they're able to keep their citizens. And um, to see this gap opening up between us and peer nations is is very concerning and should be a should be a warning call that the current system, I think it works for some people, but it doesn't work for all of society and, and you can't fake it in the numbers. I mean, one example that comes to the forefront is that this country is heavily reliant on employer-sponsored health plans, right? Yeah. Uh, those that are working in a traditional employment model as opposed to non-traditional employment models. So if you're an artisan out there, bricklayer or whatever, and you're jumping from job to job and you're not really working for a company, you may be working for yourself, a lot of those people don't get health care, right? A lot of people those don't get health care, and if if you are working those type of jobs, there's a decent chance that you price yourself out of Medicaid. You know, if your state has expanded Medicaid like Louisiana right. has, if you're working those type of jobs, there's a good chance you're making, you know, enough that it puts you out of the Medicaid bracket. And, um, you know, employers offer that benefit of, of subsidized health insurance because they get tax benefits from it. So it's baked into the system. Um but you're right. It, it causes a lot of hardship for people. It locks some people into jobs that they would rather pursue other opportunities. And for some people that cycle through jobs, it means that every six months or so, they're getting a new set of doctors, a new set of prescriptions, and so forth. And it's really um, counterproductive, I think, for, for stability. Well, 
Bills' new set of copays. <laughs> I mean, yep. the list goes on and on, right? No, this list goes on and on. It's not this type of churn. Again, I mean, these <clears throat> health insurance companies, I think they're really good at doing what they know will yield a return to them in, in the short term. And they know that, you know, people have a decent chance of being on someone else's insurance plan down the road when these type of investments might pay off in terms of health and obviously um, decreased health care spending. So, um, you know, medic, once you hit 65, you get on Medicare, it's a different story. Um, but before that, you have a lot of churn between insurance. And I think that, you know, that can give some short-term incentives to those companies that are pretty perverse and cause a lot of hardship and confusion for the person who's insured to try and navigate that system and keep getting new docs and figure out who's in network, who's out of network, what type of medicines are covered. I mean, that's a full-time job even for people that have expertise in it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the ideal system is, but, I mean, that is one of the primary differentiators when we look at our peer industrial nations across uh, the world. Uh, they're not as heavily reliant on employer-sponsored plans, right? Not as heavily reliant, and most of these countries have more established national health care plans of one means or another. There's a whole lot of models out there. But, you know, I'll tell you as someone who uh, works in hospitals, works in public health, um, has run a clinic before and been involved in seeking um, uh, seeking. Um, uh, you know, uh, getting bills paid by insurance companies, getting reimbursed by insurance companies for care provided, it takes a lot of overhead. You know, if you're a clinic or a hospital, you've got to have a whole team of people whose job it is to get these bills to insurance companies, follow up with that, make appeals, get your lawyers involved when insurance companies won't pay on time. That's a lot of overhead. That's a lot of money in the healthcare system that is not going at all to people's health care and it's a, it's a big loss i think so for every dollar spent what would you say is consumed by the administration of th- managing that dollar i think it varies based on the system but i think anywhere from 10 to 15 percent is a pretty fair wow fair guess when you think of the administrative burden and the overhead on it that's huge i mean you know huge I mean, it, it's a lot of money i think that you know, you hate to see it go to that and not go to what it's supposed to be going towards, which is, you know, getting people care and medicines. Yeah. Doc, there's a recall on certain brands of applesauce pouches due to lead poisoning risk to children. Is this just another uh, production debacle? Um, kind of. You know, we think that the cause, it's, it's, it's one particular type of cinnamon-flavored applesauce pouch and these are like the single-use pouches that you know if you've got kids you're pretty well familiar with these it's the um it's the you you do i don't (laughs) (laughs) we buy these things in bulk um it's the wanabana brand w-a-n-a-b-a-n-a wanabana brand of apple cinnamon fruit pouch and um most people that we've found in louisiana have bought these at the Dollar Tree store. You can also get them online on Amazon, but um, up until hopefully now they've been on the shelves um, at the Dollar Tree stores. 
the likely culprit, it sounds like, is actually the cinnamon spice that this company has used. It's an imported product. It's made overseas. I, I want to say Ecuador, but I'm not totally certain on that. And, and the FDA thinks it's probably the cinnamon that's causing it, but their, their investigation is ongoing. We've got one confirmed case of childhood lead poisoning in the state on this and three likely cases that, that are probably going to pan out to be confirmed. Um, there's 20-odd cases nationally right now at least that was as of a few days ago so it's probably gone up um spanning a number of states the fda has issued a recall on this and uh we've additionally sent out our sanitarians in the state to ensure that these products are no longer on the shelf uh, one of the things that's been concerning me is you know for families that do their shopping at dollar tree stores tend to be more marginalized and mm-hmm. I, I really don't want to see any kids get lead poisoning. Lead poisoning is, is terrible and entirely preventable. So it's not all pouches. It's just the Wanabana cinnamon apple pouches. But those should be moving off the shelves. If by chance they're not yet, please, you know, avoid purchasing those. Dollar General and all of those others have been cooperative? Dollar Tree. It's really just Dollar, I mean, Dollar Tree. Tree. Yeah, it's taken them a little while. They, 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 they're being cooperative. I think it's taken them a little bit longer than we're comfortable with to get the product off the shelf. All right. All righty. Well, that hour flew by. Dr. Joe Cantor, thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate the time and the insight. And it was good to see you last evening. Really enjoyed it. it was very nice. Me too, Noel. It was very nice. All right. It's Dr. Joe Cantor, Louisiana State Health Officer. Have a great week, Doc. Thanks. You too. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Joe Cantor. A lot of great information about a lot of different things going on in the healthcare world. When we come back after the top of the news break, we'll visit with Sheriff Susan Hudson, Orleans Parish Sheriff's Office. Uh, most recently, she made her presentation to the city council asking for an increase in the office's annual appropriations. And we'll also talk about the 49th annual Sheriff's Thanksgiving Day celebration on Thursday, November 23rd, 2023 from 10 to 1 at the Morial Convention Center. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Sheriff Susan Hudson. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 